The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our tech traders on the desk are Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's crypto purgatory all over again as Bitcoin hovers around $9,000. But there's a hard fork coming in one coin that could send it to the moon. Brian Kelly will break that down. Plus, trouble for tech stocks group tanking today as fears of a trade war with China mount. And legendary tech investor Roger McNamee says one stock will really feel the brunt of that brouhaha. He'll be here. But first, we start off with the big story of the day, a wild day for the White House as President Trump is speaking at the Marine Corps Air Station in San Diego. And just moments ago, a headline crossing that the brewing trade war with China could heat up. If he says anything about that, we will bring that to you. Meantime, our own Eamon Javers is standing by at the White House with the latest. Eamon. Hi, Melissa. I've just been working the phones here over the past couple of minutes, and I can tell you some new details about that Reuters report. Reuters reporting that the president is considering tariffs on about $60 billion worth of goods coming into the United States from China. I can tell you that also under consideration here are a couple of other things. Tariffs are under consideration. Investment restrictions on investment from China is under consideration. Also under consideration here are visa restrictions for travelers coming in from China to the United States. That's all in response to Ambassador Mr. Lighthizer's uh, section, so-called Section 301 investigation uh, of Chinese trade practices. So this would be uh, the United States positioning this as a retaliation, in effect, uh, for actions that the Chinese have taken over the years. But under consideration, I can report here at the White House, are tariffs, investment restrictions, and potential visa restrictions for travelers coming in from China. So this is not a, a done deal at this point. We're waiting on the official rollout of specifics and details that underpin this reporting, uh, but it is clear that this White House is going in a very much more protectionist direction just over the past week or so. We saw the announcement of tariffs on steel and aluminum. Now we're seeing this. And also this morning, we saw that action that the U.S. government took through CFIUS against the Broadcom merger uh, with Qualcomm, blocking that deal for the Singapore-based Broadcom uh, to acquire Qualcomm in a $117 billion transaction. All of this is really about China, I'm told. Concerns that China is getting the upper hand over the United States on trade. It's something the president campaigned on, and now this White House feels very much that it's delivering on that campaign promise of reset, uh, resetting the trade balance with China, Melissa. All right, Eamon, thank you very much. Eamon Javers yeah. from the White House. It has been a bit of March Madness at the White House. First, the beginnings of what some think could be a trade war. Then senior economic advisor Gary Cohn resigning last week. And, of course, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson resigning this morning. And stocks selling off late in the day. The Dow ending down 170 points. The Nasdaq, Nasdaq sinking 1%, snapping a seven-day winning streak with tech and financials, the two worst-performing sectors. So is the D.C. chaos catching up with stocks, or is this just the chance 
to buy. And I want to start it off with technology guys, simply because Eamon was telling us about the tariffs. Should we be worried here? Yeah, I think so. And I'll say so. President Trump might be 100 percent correct. Maybe the playing field has not been level for the last couple decades. And maybe these things he's putting in place need to be done to level the playing field. I'm not trying to get political here. But with that said, that's not market bullish. To think there are going to be no repercussions from this is foolish. So I do think it's negative in the short term for the market. In the long term, I don't know, but we don't really focus on that here. So in the short term, given the reversal we saw, given that Qualcomm, that those Broadcom Qualcomm headlines, that is very significant. I think, you know, the, the aura of protectionism is right in front of us. And to me, in the short term, it's not particularly bullish. I agree. I, I'm concerned about it. I mean, I've tried this. This administration has had chaos from week one. And so we've got to be used to chaos. We have to be used to personnel changes. That happens all the time. But this seems to be at a higher level. And I'm very concerned about this trade policy. I think the chance for unintended consequences is so high. There's so much risk there. I'm concerned. This is the most concerned I've been in a while. And I think we are just one hot inflation number away from a very significant market sell-off. I mean, that was the underpinning for the rise on Friday, right. a decent number today, right? But if we get anything and then we start to get, a, you know, we start to get a 3% or higher uh -huh. on the 10-year and then concerns about, you know, the deficit and how do we fund it all, that, that concerns me. I'm worried. Yeah. Yeah, let's say, I mean, the market's spoken, right? I mean, the market, the Dow is down, what, 170, almost down 200 at one point today. The market clearly doesn't like chaos. And then think about this. Part of the underpinning for this market has been, hey, you know what? There's going to be M&A. This is the time in the cycle that you get this M&A. Well, that Broadcom, Qualcomm decision today puts a little bit that, you know, puts that in, in question. And so if you're a CEO and you're out there and saying, okay, how do I spend this currency, this stock that I have that's now at all-time highs, you have to question where is it going to go. So it's stifling growth and the market doesn't like that even if you don't believe in that the market doesn't like uncertainty so this isn't helpful for anybody and underneath the surface the market hasn't been that healthy anyway well the sad thing is it doesn't need to be this way when you think about the economic backdrop right now that we have it doesn't need to have this chaos coming from washington usually it comes from wall street or silicon valley or main street and so that's the thing i think is really disappointing i think it's also important to remember when you talk about some of this personnel shifts you know people were talking about gary Cohn and dean powell and rex tillerson as the committee to say America, what they were saving us from. Well, these people were some very successful executive, corporate executives at some of the biggest firms in this country. Now, they are going back, and they're going to be telling their real story. We're not going to see them probably on 60 Minutes anytime soon, but their stories are going to start seeping, seeping out through corporate America. Think about Hock Tan, the CEO of Broadcom, okay, who was brought to the White House November 2nd. He said he's going to accelerate their move back to the U.S. They're going to be able to invest in America and do all these things. The Domiciling, not re just moving. Yeah. He just had the wool pulled over his eyes, his rug pulled out mm -hmm. from under. So I'm not so certain America's open for business anymore right now in this environment because, you know, it, it just seems like there's no consistency in the message. And let me tell you something, Larry Kudlow, I know you watch Fast Money all the time. I hope you have a message for the president because this doesn't need to be this way. If Larry can carry that message to the president, things could be a lot different. Well, he did not believe well, in any of the tariffs that the president had proposed the or put forth. I believe he carries that yeah, yeah. message. Yes. Right. That's true. He could, you know, if he hears him and then someone else, you know, tells him something else a few minutes later, that seems to be problematic. I think, well, I, I think, think the point is that, right, that this notion of the voices of the globalists within the White House, they have been dimmed with the departure of Cohn, with the departure of Tillerson, and the nationalists, the protectionists in the White House, their voices have grown in the meantime. And what does this mean 
in terms of this latest headline about $60 billion in tariffs on, on tech and telecom goods. Well, I mean, assuming that Larry is going to, Mr. Kudlow is going to get that job, just assume for a second, you've got to believe that he's going to go in with some understanding that his voice will, in fact, be heard, yes. which, in my opinion, should be somewhat market positive. I think some of the move into steel stocks to the downside, uh, downgrades notwithstanding, are maybe on the fact that Mr. Kudlow will be joining the administration at some point. And the other thing you can make, sort of, I want to be too dire here, but the VIX, given everything we all just said and given the huge sell-off that it's seen over the last couple of weeks, in my opinion, should have been up more than it is today, a couple percent. It should have been up more like 10 to 15 percent, just my opinion. I agree. I bought a lot of puts today. But I think one of the things that could make a difference, Trump has lived and died by the, the stock market's performance. And if these policies really start to have a negative effect on stock market performance, that, I think, would be the loudest voice. If you believe he, in a Trump God. put. Do I believe yeah, it? Yeah, do you it's actually not believe the in a Trump put, though. That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> the, 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 the problem is, is he also has the ability to turn on the stock market and say, you know, this is fantastic news for America, and Wall Street doesn't like this news, and he can turn on it. So he can he can change the story to how it works. I, I, I again, I agree with you. This is this is not great. I was surprised the dollar wasn't lower today, though. Haven't we seen the the impact of the Trump put in the markets? I mean, he threatens tariffs, yeah. and then he there's well, all sorts of carve outs. That, that, so the market sells yeah. off, then the market rises again. It's a really again. important point. This morning when. Trump was asked about Kudlow, I think he said something like, well, Larry's come around to my way of thinking that it's more of a negotiating tactic. And I think that's also a big part of what's going on here, too. So I would be shocked if the nationalists in the White House who don't know anything about the economy, have you read about this guy, Peter Navarro? I mean, like, they don't know anything about how this stuff works. I'd be shocked if these very protectionist plans are put in place and that we are in a full-blown trade war. At the same time, broader, broader speaking, with this uncertainty in the markets, with a possible looming trade war, with potential Fed missteps, et cetera, et cetera, what are the sectors that you should feel safe in? Because theoretically, yesterday maybe we would have said technology was a good sector to be in. It's up 11 percent this year. And you know what? Today it's sold off hard. Healthcare, I think, you know, you look at for outperformance on day. Like, I think healthcare, you know, listen, seemingly the crosshairs are off healthcare for the, for the foreseeable future. So I think if you're looking for a place to hide out that could potentially give you some upward mobility here, I think it comes in the form of health care. What do you think about uh, the you top know, performing well, sectors? Because it thing. wasn't just tech today. It was yeah. financials that sold off the two leaders in the market. I, I don't buy the idea that there is a sector in the market that's going to be untouched by this. Because if you think about it this way, if, you're, if you run a health care place right next to the Caterpillar plant, you're going to have a problem, whether it's in the U.S. and that's your only business. So I don't buy that one bit. I don't think there is a safe sector to be in this. Again, I'm surprised that gold wasn't higher, the dollar wasn't lower, given this chaos. I mean, just think about the mechanics of it, right? If you no longer are selling overseas, why do people need your dollar? Yeah, I'll just say one stock that, you know, it kind of confounds all of us is Amazon. When you think about it, it really is not going to have too much effect by a trade war whatsoever. I think it's really important to note that this stock was down 15% from its all-time highs in January into this February lows. And now it was up this morning almost 30% from its February lows. Something's going on here with this name. The universal bullishness in this name is really, uh, you know, uh, it's astounding. I've never seen anything like it in my career. But when you have a stock like this up 35% of the year, $780 billion or $70 billion in market cap, it's telling you that, I mean, I think everyone's getting to one side of the boat on this one, um, you know, and maybe for a lot of these reasons they think that, 
it's not very exposed to this sort of situation. All right, for more on the markets, let's bring in Rebecca Patterson, uh, who is Chief Investment Officer at Bessemer Trust, oversees $70 billion in assets under management. Rebecca, it's always great to see you. Great to be here. Um, I'm going to kick to you the question that we've been tossing around on the desk. Is there a Trump put in the market? You see all this chaos. You see all these threats of tariffs, et cetera. The president, though, is a stock market president at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Will he be there to hold the bag? Well, I don't think we can count on that. But I do think we have seen a pattern where we get these huge headlines, if you will, or tweets, and then the reality tends to be walked back. And so I'm hoping that's the same with this news just this afternoon. $30 billion in tariffs wasn't enough. Give me bigger number. Where's the cost-benefit analysis behind that? Where's the research behind that? I hope there's some. So give me 60. All right, so he says 60 ahead of a special election tonight in Pennsylvania. And then maybe a few days later, there's some negotiation behind the scenes, and magically it goes down to 20. But it is coming. I mean, we know this next section of tariffs is coming. It's Section 301 from the 1974 Trade Act. They started the investigation last August. It's basically done. So it's a matter of when this gets rolled out. And the problem with it is it's significantly bigger in terms of potential economic impact than steel and aluminum. And if it does happen and it's not scaled back and we do have repercussions, and I'm in agreement with everything that's been said on the desk here, that right now the economic data is great. But this is a risk that if it becomes a full-blown reality is going to change the economic backdrop. So we all have to be on our toes, stay invested, but watch out for that risk to become reality. What happens when that risk nears reality or becomes reality? What do you do to your portfolio? I think if we get into a bigger trade war, and, and keep in mind, this is not the 80s or 90s trade wars. This is trade 2.0, where the retaliation is incredibly targeted to political districts. Um, I mean, you think about going after Harley-Davidson in Paul Ryan's district or Bourbon, Mitch McConnell's state, right? They, they know exactly what they're doing. They're going to do the most economic and political damage they can. So I think that if this occurs, it's a dampener on growth and sentiment, but it pushes upward prices on inflation, which is really a shame. After all this fiscal stimulus, we've driven up the debt and deficit. And we're not going to enjoy that. So I hope it doesn't happen. But there is a risk of it. If it does, it's stagflationary. So you want to look for companies that can manage higher prices, higher input prices, and pass those on to their end users. I also think hard commodities and commodity equities have a relatively better role today in a portfolio. It's late cycle, slightly weaker dollar, inflation's rising, more geopolitical risks now with Pompeo in charge of State Department, relatively speaking. So I think that's another place people can look at, especially after the weekend's OPEC meeting. So, Rebecca, you're allocating for people that are trying to preserve wealth. And you're yes. looking and around grow the world. It. We're growing and grow it, too. It. Right. And preserve and yes. grow. Um, so I'm curious, when you look around the world, is the U.S. still the best place to invest? Or should they, people be looking elsewhere now? So we are modestly overweight, the U.S. We reduced that overweight last year. But we still have a tilt to the U.S. And interestingly, despite all the noise, despite all the headlines, the outperformance by the U.S. this year versus most overseas markets is, is quite interesting to me. So our overweight to the U.S. hurt us last year. It's helping us quite a lot this year. We aren't overweight the dollar anymore in a material way. We've neutralized that with a variety of option, forward strategies, gold, um, because we think that the fiscal situation, the widening current account deficit, and again, the great points made earlier on foreign capital, will it want to come here? Given the uncertainties, we think the bias of risk has shifted for the dollar, and it's going to be range-bound, but maybe slightly weaker. Well, that's going to be my question to you, because you made a career in the currency world. How detrimental is this to the U.S. dollar? And at what point does a weaker dollar 
actually hurt the stock market, not help it? Right. So that's a great, great question. Thank you. Currencies are my baby. Um, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the last six rate tightening cycles in the U.S., the dollar went up three times and went down three times. So higher interest rates here alone don't guarantee a stronger dollar. At the end of the day, it's all about trade and capital flows. U.S. is doing better, so current account deficits widening. That's a negative for the dollar because companies have to sell dollars to buy the foreign goods that we all buy at the store or on Amazon. So that's negative for the dollar. So then you need enough net capital coming into the U.S. to offset it. But we're putting that at risk right now, whether it's Chinese or Japanese reserve money coming into the U.S., or if I'm a German or Japanese retail investor, last year I had negative yields at home. So, sure, I'll take 10-year treasuries. This year, my economy at home is doing better in Germany and Japan. My yields, especially in Germany, are looking a little better. Why do I want this? Why do I want a weaker dollar and all the risk that's coming with this? So I think there is capital flow risk that's materially bigger this year than the past. So I, I do think the risks have shifted. And you're right. At a certain point, it's like oil. Oil coming down in 14, 15, 16, great for the consumer. But at a certain point, it started hurting stocks. The dollar isn't a drag on stocks now. But if it gains any momentum and this lasts for a while, people start, might, might start factoring that into inflation. Mm -hmm. So that could end up hurting us. Thank you, Rebecca. Always good to see you. No, thank you for letting me on. It's good to be here. <laughs> Rebecca Patterson of Bessemer Trust. Dan Nathan, what did you do? What would you be looking to do based on what Rebecca um, said? You know, I, listen, I think that she just talked about some outperformance here in the U.S., and I think we know where that comes from. It comes from about a half a dozen large tech names, and half of those are really going to be at the target, I believe, of any sort of trade war if it happens with China. So to me, I continue to kind of Look to sell the QQQ, that's the NASDAQ 100. I think you're going to get your most bang for your buck there, even if you're looking from a hedging standpoint. And I remain short the S&P 500. I do not like the fact that it could not make a new high, especially as it appeared that technology, specifically the NASDAQ, just blew out. And just to underscore, you bought protection today. I bought a fair amount of protection today. I was bidding for more. I didn't get it. I mean, earlier in the day, it was a lot cheaper than at the end of the day. I'm concerned. I don't like to trade my positions around news of the day, but... I'm concerned, so I got to buy that protection. With the, I'm surprised, as Guy said, that the VIX wasn't higher than it right. closed. No, I thought the outperformance in retail was interesting. Obviously, on an initiation from one of the bigger houses, many, many different companies initiated. But one stock we've talked about now, seemingly for the last few weeks, has been Macy's has very quietly had a huge move to the upside, flirting with $30 here. I mean, despite the tape that we've all been voiced concerns about, I think Macy's goes higher from here. Well, you want something that in this market is protection from the geopolitical or the political chaos. So what do you buy? You buy gold. If you don't like Bitcoin, you Bitcoin if you don't like gold. I think that's the easiest way to play. Coming up, tech stocks getting crushed today. And one name in particular could really start to feel the pain. Legendary tech investor Roger McNamee joins us to explain. Plus, Jim Cramer, the original madman, just sat down with the new Twitter CFO. And after you hear what you told him, you might want to buy the stock. We'll hear what he said. And later, our own crypto baller, Brian Kelly, says there's a hard fork coming for one cryptocurrency that could send that soaring. He'll be here to break it down. You're watching Fast Money. We're live in New York City's Times Square. Got much more show right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a little buzzkill. GE getting slammed today, down nearly 4.5% after J.P. Morgan slashed its year-end price target from 14 to 11, the firm warns GE's shrinking free cash flow could put the dividend yield at risk. Again, the company also slashing executive bonuses. Shares of GE are down more than 50% in the past year. 
Is there an end in sight? This is, by the way, Guy, the third time this year J.P. Morgan cut its price target. Yeah, and this is very similar to what Cowan said about six months ago. They, they lowered their price target to 11 J.P. Morgan. They said the bull case is predicated on unrealistic expectations. And that's pretty strong language. You know, free cash flow goes from a buck to 50 cents. None of this is particularly bullish. Uh, some people want to make some of the parts arguments. If Tim were here, he would do that. And there's probably some truth to that. But in the, in the meantime, given the backdrop and given no earnings growth and given a valuation that's still rich, yeah, there's a good chance the stock breaches 14 and maybe tests that $11 level. A person who, norm, who usually sits on this desk, Tim, yes. is Long G. Right. He says that I talked to him today on Power Lunch about G in, in particular, and uh -huh. he said that he held it because of the sum of the parts, that the assets are worth something. It doesn't matter if free cash flow goes to zero. It, there's still value in the stock. You're a value person. Right. Well, there's also a lot value. of liabilities. I'm sure he was thinking net of the extraordinary liabilities, of which we yeah. know they're huge. So actually a move from 14 to 11, given how levered it is, is not really that big of a move on enterprise value. If you really believe in that story, to take a while for that to play out, I'd buy some out-of-the-money options because on the other side, things start to go the right way. Even out-of-the-monies will will do nicely if things turn. It would be great if there were a TV show. Well, you know, there's, there's another trade that would actually make sense. So if you actually had a, a notion of where you think the floor in, you would actually sell a downside put. So when you're selling a put, if the stock were to go below that strike, that's where you'd own the stock out of the money. And you could do something called a risk reversal, Karen, where you sell the put and you buy that out of the money call. And then you have a lot of leverage to an upside move. But th th the these are the sort of strategies. Would you do that, though? Would think, you say, you know, at 11, so my, my I'm personal buyer. thing is, uh, you know, and I, I actually answered this question to somebody today, I think you have to wait for a capitulation. When you thought 19 to 15 was capitulation, it's gone lower. It's going to go lower than this. There needs to be some sort of bloodletting event, and then it's going to be ready to take that sort of You have to wait till Warren Buffett buzz. Because he's going to buy. He's going to get a better deal than you. It's going to be at 11 bucks. It's going to look like the world's falling apart. And you're going to wake up one day and Warren Buffett bought it. He got a great deal. But you know what? Here's the great thing about when Warren Buffett buys at these low levels. You can ride along with it because he's a long-term player. So even though he got a better deal, wait for Warren. Still ahead. Teflon Tech, no more. Some of the biggest names getting crushed in the market sell-off. There could be more pain ahead, according to one of our traders. We've got those details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Wait. Big tech is tanking. And tech legend Roger McNamee says there's one name in particular that looks vulnerable. He'll be here. Plus, he told you about Bitcoin. He told about Ripple. Now BK has a new cryptocurrency on his radar. And he'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Brutal day for big tech as the president blocked the Broadcom Qualcomm deal, sending the sector into the red. Or Bob Bassani's got all the stats live from the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. As goes tech, so goes the market. You know, we saw it today in the middle of the morning, semiconductor stocks, which have advanced 20% or more this quarter, began weakening, and the rest of the market just followed suit. So the big names, your applied material, LAM Research, iLinks, NVIDIA, they all slid. The semiconductor index closed down about 1.5%. All right, what does it all mean? With two weeks left in the quarter, traders are nervously eyeing hefty gains in technology stocks as it becomes increasingly clear that the market leadership, tech in particular semi, is very stretched. Now, you can understand the concern that they have. The S&P is up 3%. Technology is up 10% this quarter, three times the gain of the S&P. That's attracted enormous amounts of short-term momentum money that will be quick to pile in, but also 
quick to pile out, particularly when you get to the end of the quarter, and that's what we're coming to. In recent weeks, the gains have gone parabolic for a number of these stocks. So Micron's up 22% this month. Microchip Tech is up 21%. Lamb's up 17%. Xilinx's up 7%. Even Intel's up 5% much outperforming the markets. And it's not just semiconductors, which are up 14% as a group for the quarter. Anything associated with social media, anything associated with cloud computing, or anything associated with cybersecurity has also risen in the mid-teens just in the last several weeks. So stocks that are this overbought are susceptible to sudden bouts of profit-taking, which is exactly what happened today in all those sectors. In the past, when tech has led to the downside, it hasn't lasted very long. That's the good news. As long as this backdrop of global growth and upward earnings remains strong, particularly in the tech group, this still seems to me like a, a healthy bout of profit-taking. Bottom line is I'm not worried yet, Melissa. I would just note today, though, S&P 500 technology hit 26% of the market cap of the entire S&P 500. Think about it. One-fourth of the S&P is one sector. Back to you. Wow. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. So okay. Bob's worried. Um, with the context, Guy, of all the uncertainties here, is tech, the top performing sector, the most likely place where people will take profits first? We saw it today, without question. I mean, Micron looked like it was going to $70 today, obviously close below 60 So I think the first place people will take profits and names that have had somewhat parabolic moves, Micron specifically, but NVIDIA falls into that category. And again, given what we heard this morning about that Broadcom deal, that's very scary. You know, M&A was a huge catalyst for this tech move. If you take that off the table, right. that's one leg that's out. So is there a double whammy? Is it the notion of profit-taking amidst market uncertainty plus a D.C. problem that tech may have right now? Yeah, I, I think so. And again, the M&A, just everything, right? And that feeds into the D.C. And last night I said that NVIDIA looked like it was going to uh, break out. I believe that was my final trade. I think you have to be careful here. It looks like it. Maybe it's doing a false breakout. I'm not sure. But I would say take today's low and use that as, a, as your stop if you played that breakout in NVIDIA. Let's bring in tech legend Roger McNamee. He's the co-founder of Elevation Partners. Uh, Roger, great to see you, especially on a day like today. Lots of news in technology. So taking a look at what has gone on for tech, you know, the, the Broadcom Qualcomm deal gets blocked. Uh, and then late in the day, there are reports that uh, the president could seek $60 billion in tariffs on tech and telecom goods from China. Does tech have a D.C. problem, you think? Well, I think it has an uncertainty problem, for uh, Melissa, because we haven't really adjusted as the market investors to the rise in nationalism as it's applied to trade, right? We've been a globalist economy for so long, and tech has been such a huge beneficiary of globalism, that if we're going to pull back from that in any way at all, tech is going to have to adjust. And I don't think anybody really knows exactly how that's going to shake out or what the impact's going to be, but tech's going to feel it as hard as anybody. We source so much stuff from China. We sell globally. You know, all of these things require trade routes to be open and to have, you know, minimal tariffs and to have markets accessible. And we now have uncertainty about that for the first time in, what, 20 years? And so I'm, I'm, I think it's really a good reason for investors to be asking the question, well, how long is my time horizon? We're 10 years into this tremendous bull market. Tech's been a leader practically the whole time. And, you know, as Bob said, we're up to 26% of the S&P 500. And a bunch of these stocks are up on a spike. So if, if we were to see some kind of retrenchment in the short run, that would not only be no shock, I'd be really careful what you buy if you want to buy things on a pullback. Right. I like Apple a lot, but I'd be cautious about almost everything else. 
Roger, Karen, let me ask you something. Silicon Valley doesn't really have a great relationship with the president. Do you think there's any shot at all of them appealing to him in a way that gives them some protection? I have no earthly idea. I, I wouldn't even know what question to ask in order to get a favorable answer on that. I think tech's really big problem today uh, depends on the category you're in. I think the social media companies have a big problem with regulation in Europe. Uh, they have a new uh, general data protection uh, regulation coming on in mid-May that is going to slowly but very steadily force the social media companies into a separate business model in Europe for what they have in the U.S. And that will exert some cost on those guys. I think the social media guys have huge PR pressure in the U.S. because of the impact that Facebook in particular not only had on our election, but as you saw with the United Nations today coming out and saying that Facebook, in fact, has been enabling uh, friends of the government of Myanmar to uh, basically persecute the Rohingya minority. And those kinds of things, those companies can't survive without the trust of their users. And Facebook in particular is hurting itself there. When I look at the semis, that's purely a global trade play. You have to believe there'll be free flow of smartphones and free flow of personal computers around the world. And I don't feel as confident about that today as I did you know, say three months ago. And I'm not quite sure how to play that. I just want to be more conservative about it. Hey, Roger, it's Dan. Um, you know, back to Facebook for a sec here. You know, you just mentioned the issues with our election. So they had a real problem suppressing fake news in 2016. But it seems by all indications, Zuckerberg really wants to get into China and he wants to help them censor real news. What does that say about Facebook at this stage of their growth? I would say that Facebook is has a tin ear. I think that there is a very obvious set of issues that they need to deal with here and now, and they need to just put their dreams of China in a box for a while and assess exactly what is their relationship going to be with the country that they live in, what is their relationship going to be to Western Europe, what is it going to be to the rest of nine China Asia, because they have problems in each of those geographies. And the problems are not little. They go right after end user trust. And I, th I think that the management of Facebook right now is committing malpractice. As a shareholder, I'm terrified by what they're doing. I mean, they, they aren't listening. And you have the, the, the head of, of advertising doing that tweet suggesting, hey, the Russians weren't really trying to elect Trump. All they were trying to do is blow up America. Like somehow that was an okay thing for Facebook to enable them to do. And I look at this and I go, guys, stop looking at China. Stop looking at the future. Look at the here and now. Help us prevent interference in 2018. I don't actually believe Mark is sincere about what he has said year to date. And I really do think they need to get with the program because this is really hurting their brand globally. They may have to put those dreams in a box regarding China if this trade war blows up, Roger. Um, thank you well, so amen. much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Roger, for your Melissa, you're the best. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Um, thanks, Roger. Roger McNamee. Um, I think the tech gods didn't like what Roger was saying because his background went black. <laughs> Blue skies to black Tesla's and then not back. Work on the way After home. He said In the malpractice. Exactly. Boom. Black. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Does but this is what he just said. They're committing malpractice. I mean, he, he didn't just throw that word out. He chose that word very carefully. My, my concern for Facebook has been pretty much exactly that. Now, it hasn't manifested itself in the share price for quite some time, maybe until recently. I do think, though, the downside risk outweigh the upside um, gains in FB right now. I thought what he said about uh, the notion of semiconductors, it depends on a global 
Well, they've always right? been right. flow of, of all they these They have been that cyclical indicator. So instead of buying CAD or UTX, you buy the semis. It's kind of the same thing. And again, these are global trades. We've always talked about it. You get a, a stronger dollar that's not going to be good for tech. They sell globally. I completely agree. I think the other thing that he said, which was really interesting, is that is the thing about trust, right? These We have entrusted our data with a lot of these companies, with Amazon, with Google, with Facebook, and it's centralized. And I think they have a centralization problem where we've said, hey, we trust you with all this stuff, and they haven't reciprocated. Wait, where, you going? where are you going with this, BK? Where are you going with this? Mr. Blockchain. Oh, you mean you want, to, you want to decentralize trust? I got a product for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, options traders are betting on more pain for big tech. So, Dan, what are you seeing? Yeah, so this was a really interesting day, especially on a day where the NASDAQ or the XLK is what I really want to talk about there. That's the uh, technology selection. Yeah, broke out to new highs at one point. This thing was up 11.5% on the year, uh, way outperforming most of its uh, peers here. So today, um, put volume two times that of calls. An interesting trade when the ETF was trading about 70 bucks. There was a buyer of 5,000 of the April 69.63 put spreads, paying 87 cents for that. That breaks down at 80. Uh, 68.13. Max gains up to $5.13 down to 63. Look at that chart right there. That was that breakout just this week. And so look where this put spread gives protection to this trader from 68.13 down to 63. That is basically the range if you look at it um, from the sell-off over the last month or so. So to me, that looks like some very targeted protection after a failed breakout. All right, for more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, what is the best performing social media stock this year? It's not Facebook, it's not Snap, it's Twitter. And Jim Cramer just spoke to the brand new CFO. We'll hear from him right after this. Plus, Dan Nathan here, warming up for his fast pitch. He says there's one retail name that's up nearly 10% this year and is about to take off. He'll tell us the stock and the trade. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in January, Dan stepped up to the plate to pitch Broadcom. I think this stock, 262, is a good buy here. They're going to report in late February. Maybe you get some resolution about the M&A, but to me, I don't think the M&A matters, and I don't know anything, um, but I think it goes up one way or another. Well, since that call, shares of Broadcom have gone, well, pretty much nowhere. So what do you do with this stock now, Dan? Well, I think given the news over the last couple of days, I mean, it was a pretty murky situation that got a lot murkier over the last couple of days. So with the stock basically at 261 right here, um, I think you, you kind of put it to the side. And there's other ways to kind of play the semiconductor space. But also, because of the outperformance, I think you want to wait a little bit. So this is one moving out of Broadcom. It's getting a little complicated for my liking. All right. You have a chance for redemption, Dan. Oh, do I really? Yeah. Okay. Another. You don't need redemption yeah. from flat. Yeah, I guess that's so. fine. I guess that's but, true. But let's, you know, let's do something. Let's for other things, you need redemption. Away from something that's newsy <laughs> and sexy to something that has the potential to be transformative this year. Let's talk about Target here. You know, obviously, retail has been a focus um, over this year as there's been a lot of enthusiasm about U.S. consumers and how they're going to spend their tax savings, if there is any for U.S. consumers. Um, but Target seems to be a situation that um, really it's about what they're doing with their own investment plan. So first things first, I'm going to give you three reasons why I think it makes sense to look at this name. So the stock is down 5% from its earnings last week. That to me is pretty bullish. When you think about Walmart sold off about 20% from its all-time highs in late January, sold off 10% the day after it reported earnings in February, disappointing on margins. 
Target had some of the same news, but investors took it much better. This stock is up 50% from its 52-week lows made last summer, but it's still down about 20% from its all-time highs in 2015. And really, this is the catalyst right here. On that call last week, the CEO said they're accelerating their $7 billion three-year investment plan. And if this company starts to see benefits from that, I think you see a stock moving back above 80 and back towards those prior highs over the next six months or so. And lastly, this is a pretty cheap stock, especially to the market and to pure Walmart, trading about 13 and a half times expected 2000 EPS. It's supposed to grow 11 percent versus Walmart, almost about 18 times uh, 12 percent expected growth. So to me, I think there's three things here. I think valuation. I think the, the actual resilience here. You could see a move into this stock if they start to show some positive benefits from the reacceleration of that spending plan. Dan, the wild card in Target, a few people have said it. I think Gene Munster has said it as well, that there's a chance perhaps that Amazon acquires Target. Do you give that any credence whatsoever? Does that does that weigh into your decision-making here? I'd be very surprised if Amazon were to buy them, but I do think that that barbell approach between the online and offline is something that is likely to kind of um, really stick with retail for some time here. These guys are making the proper investments in digital. They've just ramped up that spending. They're starting to do um, same-day delivery for groceries, two-day free shipping, all the sorts of things to compete with Amazon. So if investors start to get a sense that margins can move back up once they grow their digital pie, their digital sales grew 29% quarter uh, year over year in that last quarter so to me that's really the story how they're going to compete with amazon not being bought by amazon hey dan bk so we talked about walmart in the past and you were some are critical of of what they've done on their digital side so i'm curious why you think target's going to be able to accomplish this that and walmart wasn't yeah, I mean, listen, you know, Walmart paid $3.2 billion for Jet.com that had no meaningful sales and no meaningful tech, in my opinion. So to me, I think what Target's doing is a bit more organic here, and they're investing in logistics rather than the, uh, the online sales, uh, you know, that, that is equivalent of Jet.com. So to me, I like their plan better. No more questions. Time to vote here I on the desk. You buying Dan's pitch on Target. We kick it off with the chairwoman. Oh, you oh, tricked wow. me. I was, yeah. all right, all right, yeah, I'm yeah. ready. I have a buy. Ooh. You had me at valuation, Dan. You know, I always like that. And I believe they're very serious about really re-energizing their business. I like it. Gee? Dan is on point, and it is comes down to valuation. If you like Walmart wow. at their current valuation, you got to like Target at theirs. BK? Yeah, I think actually Whoa. Dan is spot on oh, on Target. See what I did? I yeah, that's a thinker, that one. <laughs> uh, you buy Target here, I think he's absolutely right. It's a home run, Dan, at least here on the desk. But for you out there, <laughs> does Dan's pitch for Target have you pressing the buy button? Head to our Twitter page, CNBC Fast Money, right now. Cast your vote. We will reveal the results at the end of the show. Plus, there's a big fork coming for one of the largest cryptocurrencies, and now could be your best chance to buy, according to Brian Kelly. He'll tell us the name and the trade right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. There's a big catalyst coming for one hot cryptocurrency that could send it soaring. BK's over the plasma to break it all down. Take it away, BK. Yeah, sure. So let's talk about Monero. First of all, we need to know what Monero is. So Monero is what's known as one of those privacy currencies. All the transactions on it are completely untraceable. You can't see one way or the other uh, how much people are transacting. You can trust that the transaction happened, but you can't see the amount. Now, you might say, well, that's only for nefarious things, but some people out there, they buy fluffy ponies. I'm talking to you, Guy, online, mm. and they don't want anybody to know about it. So Monero, completely untraceable privacy currency. It's the 11th largest cryptocurrency out there. So a lot of transactions going on this. Very useful. It's got about a $4 billion market cap. 
So what's the catalyst here? We're talking about a fork. Let's take a look at what a hard fork is. A hard fork is like a software upgrade. If you were to upgrade your Microsoft Word, this, that would be a hard fork. The only difference is you wouldn't be able to use your old versions of Microsoft Word. That's what's coming up with this. That's generally a positive catalyst for a currency. The new functions that are going to have can attract new users. Now, in Monero's case, they're going to upgrade it to fend off some other attacks. Again, that makes it stronger. So let's take a look at what Monero's done. Here's the chart. Now, this is a log chart. Kind of interesting that this is actually log charts work fairly well in this. And look what we have here with this trend line. One, two, three. And now here's the fourth one. And just because it's cryptocurrency doesn't mean risk, re risk management is off the table. What a great place to buy it. Right on this trend line, you know where your, your, your stop is. And if we're right, you get a moon arrow. I just wonder, could you, I wasn't expecting that moon arrow at the very end. Could you just put that <laughs> in a little more does. mathematical? What are you expecting from this? What, you, what, kind of, what kind of bump do you think you can get from this fork? Well, so from, you could probably get yeah, probably a 30 40% easily from this. I mean, when the news of the fork initially came out, you saw this big run up here, right? And we've seen another run up here. It would not surprise me to see if we're at, uh, this thing probably north of four to $500 on this news. Hey, hey Beek, so this year it seems that a lot of the volatility in the crypto space has centered around the potential for regulation. Are coins like Monero that have this privacy element, are they more at risk depending upon how regulation shakes out in the coming year? Uh, well, they may be more at risk or they actually may be more valuable. Uh, particularly if somebody who, who would want an uh, alternative financial system, Monero would be able to get around that. So, you know, depending on where you are in the world, it might be something that you value more than something where Bitcoin, where everybody can see what you're doing. All right. Thanks for that uh, crypto class, Brian Kelly. Brian at the uh, Plasma. Coming up. Don't look now, but shares of Twitter are on a tear this year. You'll never believe what Twitter CFO just told Jim Cramer. Stick around because we've got all the details coming up next. Plus, is Dan's pitch for Target a bullseye, or did he miss the mark? It's not looking so good. It's looking good for Tony Braxton tonight, but there's still time to vote in our Twitter <laughs> polls. I had the Fast Money right now to weigh in. You're watching Fast Money. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a sneak peek for you now. Twitter CFO Ned Siegel on Mad Money tonight. And here's what he told Jim Cramer. We're much more clear now on what we are and what we aren't. And we invest in trying to help people find out what's happening in the world and help them be a part of the conversation. Before we tried to do too many things, uh, we, with too many priorities, you end up executing uh, less well on all of them. Uh, we're a smaller team than we were a couple years ago, but we're much more focused and we've executed a lot better. And the turnaround plan does seem to be working. Twitter is up a whopping 40% this year, while Snap's up 20%. Facebook's nearly flat, up just about 3%. So is Twitter your best social stock? Geek. At this point, despite the fact that it's doubled since that 17 handle, I mean, it's had a huge run over the last month, month and a half. You go back to the last quarter, the fourth quarter, revenues were fantastic. ARPUs were very good, I thought. And I do think there's some, there's some value in this company remaining independent. It's never been about monthly average users. I think people have gotten away from that. And I can understand why you'd want to take profits if you've been in it. I still think there's further upside. Yeah, I also think it's pretty interesting that this focus has really come under Jack Dorsey. And I think there was a lot of people who were very skeptical about his ability to run both Square 
and Twitter, and he has been at the forefront of driving a lot of the change that we've seen. Um, so, you know, I give him a lot of credit here. They're doing the right things. I'm not so certain at 35 bucks, up 42% of the year, you have to step in and buy. But there's a pretty obvious spot if in the next month or two we have a downdraft like we did in February. If it fills in that gap, that's where you want to start buying the stock. Are you worried about Facebook? Am I worried about it? I would say I'd rather own Facebook than Twitter. Okay. Uh, but that would make me, I guess, therefore worried more about, worried about Twitter. More <laughs> the valuation, right? I do think they have some momentum, which is very good. But the valuation already puts in a fair amount of momentum for a while. So my, speaking of my book, I'm long Twitter, not Facebook. Uh, Facebook, not Twitter. Well, for me, it's Twitter, but, but I, I'm much more with Dan, where I'm going to watch this in this market environment when it's time to buy that dip, and there will be that time. You want to go with Twitter. It has the price momentum that you want in this type of market. All right. You can catch Jim Cramer's interviews with uh, Twitter CFO as well as the Applied Materials CEO. That's all tonight on Mad Money. It begins at the top of the hour. All right, still time to vote out there. You're buying Dan's pitch on Target. Head to Twitter right now at CNBC Fast Money. We will reveal the results right after this break. Okay, so you ever go to Target and hear that Muzak playing in the aisles? You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm. It kind of sounds like this. Uh, Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. America is not buying Dan's pitch for Target at this point. I know Dan is weak. You know, they didn't this. even load up the other song, the winter song, either. So I just want to be very clear about that, okay? I knew how this was going to go. Oh, listen, Come I think, on. Yeah. I think you can start dipping your toe in Target right here. That's your final trade. That's my final how about you, BK? Well, I don't disagree with him since I said he was spot on, but I think he'd go with the <laughs> other Jack Dorsey name, Square. I think that's one you can buy right here. Chairwoman. Yes, I think sort of defensive stocks in this market, which I'm a little nervous about. City. We do see rising rates. Good for City. Dan could have pitched chocolate and puppy dogs. <laughs> he would have America lost. and apple pie, and he probably still would have lost. I think uh, healthcare. Eli and Lily all get you done. They hate me. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money from San Francisco begins now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.